Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Level Up podcast, where you learn how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And we have a fantastic guest with us today, and we're talking about how to get off the commission hamster wheel. And we've got a bunch of stuff to get into, as we always do. We have a great guest, Christina Wise, is here with us today. She has a, a, a list of credentials longer than I can take to read on this particular podcast, because it would take the rest of the time that we have, and we actually want to get to some fun stuff. So before we bring Christina in, I'll welcome back Greg Harrelson. Greg, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great and uh, excited to have this conversation. Just real quick, you know, um, I've been to a lot of uh, conferences and whenever the speaker starts talking about money, all of a sudden the audience starts to have to go to the bathroom and leave the room. So this is going to be a fantastic format to talk about money because everyone can feel comfortable at listening in their own space and not worry about anyone looking at them. So, Christina, I can't wait to, for you to, to learn from you as well as to share your information with our audience. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, and, and Christina, you, I mean, you've, you've done everything from write best-selling books to creating several multi-million dollar businesses that some folks that are listening might be familiar with, like Good Life, Luxury, The Paperless Agent, et cetera, et cetera. You've done uh, lots of very, you know, very different things. Uh, give people like an idea when people ask you what you do, especially today, what would you tell the average person you run into? Well, now today, what I, what I say, this phase of my life is, a, is really dedicated to helping people get really good at this money thing where most people are intimidated. But especially for the real estate industry, my entire career, my identity, really my life has been in the industry. I started when I was 26 years old in real estate and built one of the first teams nationally with Keller back in the day. I mean, teams are just a, a household name these days, but back then it was a new concept. I worked directly with Gary at the, in those beginning days. So it was a really fun, exciting time. I went on to, to create my own brokerage, to open my own brokerage, which is called Good Life Realty. And then I did a luxury version of that called Good Life Luxury. I also scaled that through the paperless agent that I was the founder of that business. And, and really, like I said, my entire business has been from selling real estate to being a broker to training agents to traveling across the country speaking on, on real estate. And really, just a couple uh, short stories that really explains how I got to where I am today. When I was in my early 30s, I had a I had a run in with money. So many of us in real estate, and I'm guessing a lot of your listeners, the beauty about real estate when it comes to money is there's no real ceiling or cap on your income. I mean, it's what what attracts many of us to this type of work is that when you're self-motivated and when you will pick up the phone and, and generate new business and, and you've got a good work ethic and you really love people and, and really put your, you know, put work the business with your heart and mind, putting that first and really taking care of people, you can do really well financially. But what I learned and I think what many people find themselves in is that no matter how much money we make, we're still broke. And so in my early 30s, I found myself in a situation how life just calls our bluff, basically, and I had gotten divorced, and it was a really ugly divorce, but since I grew up poor, then I got into real estate, I started making a lot of commissions. I, I did very well. I was one of the top agents in Austin. I was one of the top agents with the company I was with at the time, and, and nationally. So again, I was making really good income, but what is a poor kid that all of a sudden wins what I call the income lottery? What do they do when they make a lot of money? I spend it. 
they spend it and they buy everything that they couldn't afford as a child. All the name brand clothing, all the name brand cars, all the name brand shoes, all the name brand vacations, you know, just come out of Rob report, that type of thing. So what I, what happened though is when I w- I reached this stage of my life, I'm a single mom now. I'm divorced. We fought, you know, when we had money, what do we divorce people do or those get going through divorce, they fight over the money. And so I found myself in this situation where I was completely broke. I'd ignored my business because I was fighting for all the stupid stuff through my divorce. And, and many of us have been there, done that. So we know, we know how ugly and how horrible that can be. But I found myself in a situation where I had no money. I had no commissions in the pipeline. I was completely broke. I was, I was the one that was supposed to pay child support. I couldn't pay my light bills. I had to move out of the big house in the suburbs in a teeny tiny duplex in the, in the small, in the bad part of town with my two babies. And I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. And fortunately, one, I had people, colleagues at work and peers that actually pitched in to help pay the light bills and fill the refrigerator and drop off furniture and drop off supplies, which is really great. I wouldn't have made it if it weren't for those peers and colleagues that were looking out for me. On the other hand, I felt a lot of shame and I felt really horrible the fact that I had to take charity just to to pay the light bill, basically. And it, but it was a good wake up call because I was full of a lot of arrogance and I thought the money couldn't end and I thought I was all that. And, and then life just really took a two by four. So it was at that point I reached a real low point though, where I was, I mean, I had my first panic attack when I was driving home. Again, I didn't know how I was going to, I didn't have any commissions in the pipeline. I did not know how I was going to make a rent payment. I mean, it was a really, uh, oh, and I had $100,000 of credit card debt and tax liens on top of me that I was, through the divorce settlement, had to pay because I was a primary wage earner, the only wage earner at the time. So it was a financially really stressful time, and it was breaking me. So I had this first panic attack driving home with my kids in the car, and I I had to call a friend that said, I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm pulled over, and I need somebody to come get my babies out of the back of my car because I am freaking out. I mean, that's how bad it was. And then I had a full meltdown in my house with my kids because I was just bawling and breaking down. And I'm not a big crier and I'm just melting and breaking. And my little kids are on me saying, Mama, Mama, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I didn't know what's wrong. I just didn't know how I was going to get myself out of the situation. So long story short, I really made it right there with my kids, like on top of me. I made it a personal goal to get good at this money thing. I'd seen Gary Keller get, get good at money. I'd seen other people that understood that there's something different between money and wealth. And, and I'd seen a lot of people that even though there were hard times, they weren't struggling like I was struggling. So I made this personal promise to myself and my children that if, if one could get good at the money game, I was going to do it. And that started my almost decade-long, just very intentional and purposeful and spent a lot of time studying money. Not that I ever thought I would teach it, not that I'd ever thought I'd share it with anybody else, but just for my own sake so that my children wouldn't have to grow up really in the impoverished conditions that I grew up in, even though it looked like we had more money. When you're living paycheck to paycheck or commission to commission, Regardless, even if you're making three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year, when you're still waiting for that next commission in to make the next dollar, you're still broke. That's that's just called a high high. That's just called a high income person, broke person, a rich broke person. <laughs> so that was it. That was the that was a decade. And then in 2013, I got really sick, and I'm lucky to be here. And that really gave me my second wake up call. Was that our bodies are number one asset, and again, the the lifestyle of real estate and an entrepreneur that I know everybody here is listening can be really grinding and grueling. Even if you figure out the wealth part, 
if you live an unsustainable lifestyle and you don't take care of our, if you don't take care of yourself and we, we abuse our body, we trade our health for wealth, there ultimately will be consequences to that, especially as we age. So I had a big wake up call. And um, like I said, I was, I'm lucky enough that I made it out of that. But the reason why I am still here today is because it cost me a quarter million dollars to get my life back because when we finally discovered what was wrong, what was killing me wasn't covered by insurance. And so it was just lucky that I was great at building wealth and had access to cash and money that enabled me to pay cash out of pocket to save my life. So two things happen on my proverbial deathbed is one, I realized money is more important than anything. I seriously, money is life or death, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's politically correct or not, whether we feel good about money or not, it's irrelevant. Money pays the bills. And in some cases like mine, they pay the bills that can save your life. And if I didn't have money, I wouldn't be here. I mean, that's real life stuff. I was, if I was still on commission to commission, we'd number one, we'd have gone bankrupt because it was so expensive to try to save my life. And two, we wouldn't have had the, the financial capacity to do so. That's one. But I also learned on my deathbed that, that there's more to life than just money and the pursuit of success. And so that led me to where I am today is that I love the industry. And I wanted, to, I was in a place I wanted to give back beyond just brokerage and training, agent training and technology training. I wanted to give back by helping agents get their lives back and help them get their lives back by teaching them this thing called money so that they could get off the, the commission to commission hamster wheel and get back in just to living a fully fulfilling and meaningful life that is underwritten by this co- under the cost of which is underwritten by this thing called money, but passive money, passive income, real wealth, real net worth, money that shows up on a balance sheet, not money that shows up as GCI. Love it. Love it. Great. There's a lot we could dive into there. Good Lord. Um, but uh, yeah, the, so the stories are incredible uh, and there, there's a lot notes. that we could, yeah, I was going to say um, before, <laughs> Uh, Greg, anything that you want to uh, to have Christina clarify before we kind of dive into some of the, the definitions and, and get into the conversation of income versus wealth? You know, to be honest with you, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things I want her to clarify, but I really feel like it's going to unfold in some of her some of the strategies that she's going to share. And so I almost you would rather kind of almost hold some of these questions to the end mm-hmm. to make sure that I don't interrupt the flow of what she's she's really going to share. Quite frankly. All right. Well, let's let's dive in. Yeah. So, Christina, where where do you start? You know, you've got a huge background in real estate, so you know exactly what the the listeners on the other end of this are are experiencing. You've gone through it yourself. You know exactly what it's like. Uh, tell me about some of the, you know, what were some of those moments when you really started to decide? You made that decision, but that's not something that just changing your mindset is not something that happens instantly. What are some of the things that you started to realize? that you had some of the definitions wrong and and how did you start to take those very first initial steps into wealth building? Yeah, I really love that question. And what you said first is brilliant because the there are a lot of truths when it comes to money. Truths meaning like laws and and you can't you have to abide by these laws. Otherwise there's heavy consequences. It's just like you have to abide by the speed limit of of 25 in a school zone. Now you might get by by going 50 in a school zone for a long time. But once you get caught, there's a really heavy consequence for going 55 through a 25 mile an hour school zone. So there's always, there's a consequence to not following money's laws. And so if that's true, that means we want to not only know what the laws are, or these truths are, but we want to follow them or abide by them. Because the thing with money, if you, 
if you break the law, basically, there's going it can have very serious negative consequences, long-term consequences. But if you follow the law, follow the laws, money can be a powerful thing, a beautiful thing that grows and builds because it's based, based on math and compounding and all these, these amazing things that I don't even understand. I mean, compound interest is beautiful and I don't have a first clue how it works, but I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that natural law that that allows us to build wealth far beyond our ability to earn and and save, for example. But the one of the laws when it comes to money, the most important one is the mindset piece, is that money is mindset. And so if we have any negative con- connotation with money, it's going to have a negative ripple effect. So that's the first place of work I always recommend, that many of us in the real estate industry, we're good at earning. But if we still have a negative mindset about money, I, I find two two categories, basically. One is really the mindset of I'm not enough or I can't earn enough or making money is really hard. And those would be the agents that really have a difficult time earning enough money, just getting the sales, basically. So that's one type of mindset, and that's one type of work to do. The other type of mindset is for my high commission income salespeople or realtors, and those are that they make a high income, but they self-sabotage because they still feel like they don't deserve it. So in one way or another, they're ending up on the same commission-to-commission hamster wheel. And does it matter if the commission-to-commission hamster wheel is, you know, commission, each commission is a couple thousand dollars in in six months between them or $10,000 with three months between them? It's still commission-to-commission, and you still have the same trouble paying your bills. The only difference is, is when your commissions are higher, your expenses are higher. Everything else is the same. The stress is the same. The lifestyle the same. The conflict's the same. So the mindset piece, the truth piece behind money mindset is that that you have to have positive connotations with money. You have to, when you think of money, you have to think it's good. You have to think that it's positive. It needs to be that positive ripple effect. And that, so that's the work. So whether or not the belief systems, I'm not enough and I can't make enough money or the belief system is, Hey, I'm, I am, can make a lot of money. I can make a lot of money, but I'm not deserving of that money. Meaning we have some negative thought or feeling around it, meaning some, some negative charge or negative reaction. We're never going to have enough. I mean, that's just natural law. That's money's law. So that, like you said, Matt, I'm so glad you said that. The mindset piece is always the first place to work. And it it's more important than any of the other pieces. The mm-hmm. next piece is that once, once we get to a place of thinking, ah, money is good. I can do so much good. And I like a lot of money be in the hands of really good people because we do good things with money. The second piece, though, is that we have to understand that money is a game meaning that it has rules, it has strategies, it needs to be played a certain way. The game is to, I mean, the goal is to win the game. But that would beg the question is how do you win the game? So any ideas of how do you win the money game? Like, like what is, how do you know when you can put the, the flag in or raise the flag that says, or you have the medal around your neck, like, Yahoo, I won the money game. How do we know when we won? Hmm. Well, Good question. It, at the Monopoly table, it's when all my buddies leave the table pissed off. You know, that's quite frankly, that's the only thing that comes to my mind right now, Christina. 
And how much money do you have in the bank? And you're probably the banker. I love Monopoly as a kid, and I was always the banker, right? So it's no, it's no wonder those of us got into money who love got into real estate who love playing Monopoly. And I like money and 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 real estate. So there we go. It's a perfect game for me. And I like being the banker, which is a money's rule that you have to become your own banker. So there's another money law for you: become your own banker. And I'll jump around a little bit, but what become your own banker means, and again, it's a law, it's required. What that means is the reason why most of us are in some sort of financial stress or up to financial despair, regardless of how much money we make, is first of all, the myth is that we think that the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. The myth is that the answer to all my money problems is to make more money. If I could just sell one more house or two more houses, that's going to solve all my money problems. It's like, no, that is false. That's a big, fat lie. How much money we make. The more money we make, if we don't understand the game and we don't understand the laws, just means we're going to dig ourselves a deeper hole. Money is just going to get more stressful the more money we make. So if we don't study money and get good at it, the more money we make, we're going to bring more turmoil to our lives. Now, who's told us that before? So then we're just in this game to make more money, and we're just creating more problems for ourselves and in our relationships and so on and so forth, and just take it out. Because the more money you make, the more debt you get into. The more money you make, the more there is at risk. The more money you make, the, the, our lifestyles increase, and our, and our identities are attached to that. So again, the more I always say study money and get good at it before you start making a lot of money, not vice versa. It'll solve a lot of problems. But the become your own banker, what that means is that the reason why, again, regardless of how much money we make and why it gets more dangerous the more money we do make, is because what we do is we, our entire lives, our, our entire financial life is a set of payments. So there's really two types, there's three types of money. There's the money that's for investing and saving, that's one category. The second category are what I call lifestyle expenses. And then the third category are payments. Now, how we get off the hamster wheel, one of the first places the one of the first places to get off is we have to get rid of the payments. And this is what I call become your own banker. Because if you when I look at somebody's their monthly income and expenses, what I see is I'll see their income. Let's say if they have a nice GCI of ten thousand dollars, they get a nice ten thousand dollar commission after a brokerage fees. Now, if I look at how that $10,000 that month is spent, what I'm going to see is, I'm get, this is what I'm going to see. I'm going to see uh, there's a little bit that goes towards groceries. There's a little bit that goes towards light bill. There's a little bit that goes towards clothing, you know, necessary clothing. There's a little bit that goes towards gas and maybe some upkeep on the payment, uh, the upkeep on the car. But what do I see on somebody's monthly statement? I see a mortgage payment. So a mortgage payment means money goes out to a bank. It's the mortgage bank. Just there's a name of the mortgage bank to it. Now I see one or two car payments. That car payment is a bank. That's money going out to the bank. So we're making payments. Then I see credit card bills, meaning minimum balance, you know, pay, minimum payments. Not, I mean, I'm not talking just you put things on a credit card and you pay it all off like on an Amex or something, but meaning paying a minimum amount on the of the payment towards that credit card bill. And then maybe I see a student loan payment. So all these payments, that are go those are going out to banks. So as an exercise, what I like everybody to do is to go ahead and calculate how much money goes out to what I call the bankers. 
from the, and you don't have to include the mortgage. The mortgage, you know, I can go either way on depending on who I'm talking to, what the goal is there. I don't have a mortgage. <laughs> I own up my house free and clear. And there's a reason for that. But depending on what the financial strategy is, usually I say keep your mortgage. So, but don't include your mortgage. But here's the thing with the mortgage. If your mortgage, if you're not including your mortgage as part of your payments, you can't include your, the, the equity in your home on your balance sheet. <laughs> And again, we don't have time to go into that detail, but there's a reason why. But in this case, don't include your mortgage, but calculate all of your monthly payments, your your credit card minimum payments, your car payments, and your student loan payments, anything that has a bank attached to the other side. Add those up. And let's just say it's um, it's $1,000 a month. Now, what I'd like you to do is go ahead and put that $1,000 a month. Just go to Google and Google compounding calculator. Put in $1,000 a month and put in just like maybe an 8 to 10% interest rate and put in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years. And just go ahead and see what that compounding calculator will tell you. And what will happen is most people's jaws will fall on the floor when they see those monthly payments that are going out towards those other bankers who are making trillions of dollars on our debt. If we didn't have that debt and we paid ourselves that $1,000 a month, then you put that same amount in a compounding calculator to see how much you would be worth at the end of those certain time periods. So the first thing we need to do is move it so we are our own banker and all those payments going out towards the credit card banks and those other banks are coming into our bank that then we can invest that money. And that's the first place that I recommend people to start. But we're way over leveraged in the wrong place. We're leveraged in consumer debt, which means we can't produce a return on that leverage. It's going to sink us. Where we want to leverage instead is is, is put that money where it's actually can produce a return and grow. And things like real estate is an investment, not real estate we live in. That is the best leverage out there, in my opinion. So anyway, that's a place to start, but it's looking at we have to become our own banker and we have to become our own bank and we need to quit funding the, all the other banks out there. Now, let me just give you a number here to make this real. So a lot of those in real estate that are making a, a nice income, I see, and again, I see a lot of people's books. And so I'll see the BMW payment. And it's not a BMW payment. It's a BMW lease. Mm. And what that means is we're renting the BMW, which means we can't afford it. So it's like it's like renting the tuxedo. You're not going to buy a tuxedo to go to the wedding because you really can't afford a tuxedo. You're just renting it, and then you're going to turn it back. But we're renting our cars, we're renting our labels, we're renting our logos, which means we will never own them, which means it's just money going towards that rental. But on a BMW payment, the average BMW lease is $750 a month. So now a lease payment means you'll never own the car. So let's just go, right? So that means when that lease is, is up, you have to get the next car payment. Now when that lease is up, you have to get the next car payment, which means you're going to have a car payment forever because you never pay the darn thing off. You never own the car. So... A $750 BMW lease payment, how much do you think that would be worth at the end of 20 years? Any any guesses? <laughs> no. But yeah, so I know. No, people don't want to guess. Like, right. So yeah. after 20 years, it's $650,000. So that's a $650,000 car. Now, you just paid $650,000 for that car that you, if you were your own banker, instead of keeping BMW bank, in business or whatever car dealership you bought it from or whatever, wherever you got the loan. Because Ford makes far more money on Ford, the, the Ford loan company, the Ford credit card, the credit company, 10x what they make selling cars. So all the car companies, they want your payment. They don't, they, that's the only reason why they want to sell you a car because the margins are so small in cars, they want your payment. 
But on the $750 BMW payment, that's around $650,000. That's a really expensive car. I'd, I'd rather, much rather have the 750. So now let's just go ahead and project that out, that most families have at least one car payment between both the spouses and now buying, having car payments for one or two kids. Most families have at least one car payment for 40 years. Mm. So now how much is that same $750 lease payment for 40 years, really the working life as an adult, of an adult, $5 million. So that's how much money we could have if we'd invested that 750 for the 40 years versus keeping one bank in business, one car payment in business. So that's what we're not paying attention to. And that's about $250,000 of passive income, assuming we never, never touch the principal. So by knowing this early on, we can we can organize our financial life in a way that we are the winners at the end, not the losers at the end. But if as long as you have payments, that the banks are going to be the winners at the end, and you're going to be the loser at the end. There's no there's no way around it. That's the the game is rigged. It's it's completely rigged. So if you don't understand the rig, you're victim to the rig. And but that's part of this culture because we're a consumption culture and we we measure ourselves, especially in this industry, about how we look to others and what we drive and what we wear and, and who we hang out with and what neighborhood we live in. Nothing wrong with that as long as you've done your math and you know what the cost is to it or you know what you can afford and not afford. So. Part of getting off the commission to commission hamster wheel means we have to become our own banker and start moving that direction. And then the the third piece, and I know you're so tight on time, and I can talk a million miles. <laughs> I know we did about three hours with you. Yeah. So I'm clearly passionate about talking about keep this. Keep going, keep going. But but the idea also then is to go back is to this is the money game and how do you win the game. And again, this is what nobody tells us. And so we're we're losing the game because the banks are we're, all of our money is going to the banks versus us becoming the bank. And we're losing the game because we're keeping up with the Joneses and our expenses are too high. But how do we win the game? Like I said before, we think we win the game by working harder and getting the next commission. And if I just sell one more deal, that's going to solve my money problems. No, that just means we're going to work harder and probably create more financial stress. How you win the money game is this, and a lot of people talk passive income and they talk residual income, and those, yes, those are real, and especially with companies like Keller Williams or an EXP, like there are true residual or passive income opportunities attached to recruiting. So those are some passive income opportunities, but they're very unlikely to be enough unless you're just in the recruiting business. They're just little supplemental passive incomes. But the idea, though, is how you win the money game is this. This is how you know you've won is that here's how, here's the game. The game is we earn money. And would you all agree, I, I'm, I'm guessing you do because you're both here and you're not sitting on a beach somewhere, but do we have to use our bodies and work hard to make good incomes for the most part, right? Yeah. And meaning sometimes it's inconvenient. So. We'd rather be other places <laughs> doing other things, even if we love what we do. When we're in the hardworking money game, we have to show up whether we want to or not. Right. And that's so we use our bodies to make money. We use our bodies. We have to show up. We have to do some sort of work regardless if we want to or not. So we do that. Now, what we don't understand is that how money moves, it moves from the earnings category. Then we need to move it to our household. So here's a takeaway for anybody listening that if you intermingle your business income with your household income, there's a big mistake. There are two different types of income. 
So if you're going to move from agent to entrepreneur, which is why you're listening to this podcast, the first place to do that is to look at your money. You have to have a separate bank account for your business and you have to understand what the P&L for your business is. And you need to run that P&L and you need to run the game around, around this thing called profit. That's a profitable business owner. That's what entrepreneurs do. They're in the game of building businesses for the sake of profit. Now, what do we do with the profit? The whole thing, the whole thing we do with profit as a business owner is if assuming we're the owners, we're the entrepreneurs, the, the whole thing with this profit left at the end is we need to move it into our household income, our, our household bank account. So we do our business books, we sell, we sell the, the commission, we, I mean, we get the commission, we put it in our business books, we take out what's called the cost of sales, which would go to our broker and any other cost of sales, like maybe a transaction fee or a listing fee, something attached to that sale. We have something left over called gross profit, then we take out our expenses, like our marketing expenses, email expenses, whatever business expenses we have, maybe we have an assistant or something that's expenses and left over from that commission would be a profit. So maybe it's a $10,000 commission, and at the end of the day, we have a $2,000 left over as profit. But we need to know what the profit is so that we can manage those expenses really well. But we take that profit now, that's in the business account, now we move it to the household account. So here's a takeaway. How you get rich is never, through, is never say never, but to make the point, is never through your business. How you get rich and build wealth is all about how you money, manage your money in your household account. The only reason why we make money here on the earning business side is so that we can put it in our household. Now, what do most people do when they move their money to their household account? If it's $10,000, what do people do? Do they, they spend the 10000 They buy a boat. Yeah. Yes, they buy a boat. <laughs> but that's a commission to commission. Is that you put that $10,000 in and you hope it's going to last until the next commission, but it's all eaten up by expenses. So the way we build our wealth is we can't spend all that money. Straight off the top, there's two categories that's not our money. If we have a $10,000 commission, do we get to keep all 10000 No. No, because Uncle Sam gets a portion, right? So straight off of that top, let's say it's a $2,000, 20% tax amount, uh, uh, tax rate, then $2,000 needs to go into a tax account. Now, as realtors, our taxes aren't collected. So that's what I call to sweep. You have to sweep out of $2,000 off the $10,000 and put it in another account. Your tax money, here's another hint, your tax money should never be commingled with your, your household money. Your tax money should never be commingled. So every single commission, money should be swept off and put in a tax account that you never see, and you almost have it under lock and key, and you just use it to pay. The second thing you take off the top, and let's just say in a minimum amount is 20% towards your future self. This is what I call building your own trust fund. So off the top is another 20%, which would be another $2,000. So we had a $10,000 commission. We take off $2,000 for taxes. We take off $2,000 for for our future self that I'll talk about in a second. How much is left over? We have $6,000. So $6,000 now is what we get to spend for our lifestyle, but there's two types of expenses for our lifestyle. One is our living expenses and one are our saving expenses. And again, I don't have time to distinguish between the two, but the takeaway here is that savings are an expense. Savings aren't savings. And we need, need to treat savings as an expense and it's one of our monthly expenses and that's how we start to save is like we have the mortgage expense and we have the utilities expense and we have the groceries expense and we have the savings expense. That's You have to treat your savings like an expense. Why? Because savings are future expenses. They are expenses. It's just you're taking a little, you're expending a little bit every single paycheck to build the savings account for a future bigger expense that you can't afford today. 
which is what keeps you out of the credit card debt. So saving, write this down, savings is a future expense. It is an expense, so that's why we treat it as an expense every single month. And you need a portion of what's left over that goes towards this future bigger expenses, which today is just a minor savings expense that you let those buckets grow. So that's that's really how it's broken down. So on the 20% above the line that goes towards your future self-investments, now you take that out, and that's the money you start building toward to invest. And, and however you invest... I work with a lot of realtors, and I'm shocked at the high percentage of realtors that don't own at least one investment property. It makes no sense to me. Real estate is the most beautiful, powerful way to invest, and we get to save our commissions, which is a big amount of money when we when we buy in property. Two, we understand the market, and we understand a good deal. Three, we understand improving, and we can resell it or do different things. And it just makes so much sense. So everyone in real estate should at least own one investment property, in my personal opinion. But the whole idea, that 20% off the top, we want to put in that investment bucket, that future self bucket. And and just and we just turn all this into a lifestyle and it becomes a practice. So now let me ask another question. Why invest? Why do we invest? Why would we take a 20% hit off the top? Wouldn't it be nicer to spend that twenty that $2,000 on eating out? If fancy restaurants are are going on a nice vacation or doing something, what, why would why the hell are we taking that two thousand dollars off the top to invest it and not and not spending it? Why we would we want the, to? We want to be the bank and get the compound, I guess. We do want to be the bank, and why do we want to be the bank? Not sure. Great questions, right? I mean, they, <laughs> they're just these are these are questions we all need to be asking ourselves, and they seem really obvious once we once we ask and then answer. But these are because none of us are going to money school; they're not obvious. So why invest? Why spend that? Why take off that two thousand dollars and postpone the gratification and not spend it today and put it out there for tomorrow? Okay, so let me ask you this: Are either one of you on a trust fund? Do you have a trust fund waiting for you? Nope. <laughs> no, I don't either. Bummer, right? But yeah. what do what do trust funders do? So do you know any trust funders or have you ever heard of any trust funders? Heard a little bit well, about it. I, I've known a few, but the, the whole idea with trust funders is that do do they more or less get to do whatever they want to do every single day? If, if they have a trust fund, if they, if they get, yeah, if they the get, we're talking about somebody who's getting constant payments and living off the residual of a, of a lump investment, right? They'll, an investment that's just sitting out there in a trust fund, but they get interest every month. Then yes, yeah, they, so they let's say they make their hang out. They make their ten thousand dollars a month. It's just money that hits their bank account. They don't have to do right. anything for it. It just yeah. hits their bank account. Yeah, they, they're not having to work okay. for it. So let's say that's enough to pay their bills. So, the, so, so we take out the two grand a month and put it into our own trust fund. So eventually we're we're in that same position. Now maybe 30, 40 years down the line, but we eventually get that to the where it flips. Yeah, which makes sense. Exactly. So to become our own banker, to become our own bank, we're becoming our own trust funder. So we're building that same bucket of asset value to mm -hmm. the and the only reason why I invest is to buy. So every month that ten thousand dollars that comes in. We're buying shit, right? I mean, we're buying the restaurant bills. We're buying new clothing. We're buying new shoes. We're buying the lease, you know, the rental payment on the car. We're buying the Starbucks. We're buy, 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 buy. Very obvious. What we're okay. not thinking about is buying assets. That's what we right. do is we buy assets. So it's the most fun type of buying, in my opinion. Like, I love buying assets far more than buying shoes. Buying houses <laughs> is so fun. I'd rather go to look at property.
property than go walking in Nordstrom's any day. And then shoes don't make you money. Real estate makes you cash flow. Real estate can make you rich. Shoes wear out, and they're uncomfortable anyway for most of the time, expensive shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a shelf life. So, And there's all these tax incentives with real estate. But the whole idea is that you become your own trust funder. And you're right. It might be 10, 20, 30 years. You get to determine by what I call reverse engineering math to determine how quickly you want based on how much you're willing to adjust your monthly living expenses so that you can do more or less above the line in the investment. But that's how you win the game. How do you win the money game? You win the money game when you buy enough assets that throw off enough residual cash flow, i.e. passive income, meaning you're not having to work for it, your assets are working for you. So it can be a combination of some real estate cash flow and EXP residual cash flow and or Keller Williams little passive income cash flow, but you tally all of those assets up, tally the, the monthly income, and when the monthly income that's thrown off from those assets replaces your working income, you're a trust fund baby. Now, because you don't have to work, now it's full self-actualization because the work that you do at that point is for the sheer love of it. It's not for the have-to of it. And that, go and if you stay doing what you're doing, that means you actually do truly love your work because you want to continue doing it. But that's the game, and that's what we're moving towards. But that's how we win the game. And I can just tell you that life is, you just live life at a different level when, whether you wake up, like every single day, the bills are paid. And the residual income covers it. And you get very happy to simplify your life in a way that my life is completely paid for by my assets. Now, am I done making money? Am I done? By all means, I feel like I'm just getting started. But I can start each day totally different. I mean, in a whole new mood, in a whole different uh, energy, in a way, just knowing the bills are paid. Now I can just go create and I can go produce. I can go make impact and if the more money I make, I can adjust, and the more I can invest, the more passive income, monthly income, and then I can adjust my lifestyle expenses up and then take maybe more expensive vacations or do whatever I want to do. But my life is my goal, and this is what I recommend for everybody's goal. Have whatever your base lifestyle cost is. That's doable, right? It doesn't have a lot of luxury in it, luxuries in it, but it's not, you don't feel like you're suffering either because you might not be here tomorrow. Like I learned on my deathbed. So you don't want to save everything for tomorrow, but find out this really good base lifestyle cost where you don't feel like you're sacrificing and you're not too frugal. You're not missing out, but at the same time, it's less than what, uh, what it could be. And just that's your base. Now go towards building your, your trust fund as fast as you can to cover that base. And then how do you increase the cost of your lifestyle? By increasing how much passive income or residual income comes out of your asset. And then you slowly grow it through your asset, not through your hard work. So then the working becomes for the sake of building your asset collection that throws off more, not to pay your bills. And it's just a whole different way of living your life that's a lot more fun. It just it really helps you keep your priorities in place. Life is simpler. Life is a lot less stressful. And you just get out of this game of trying to keep up with the Joneses on the commission, commissioner at Hamster Wheel, all this conflict, feeling like you're under debt, just never feel like you're getting ahead. You are ahead. And then it just becomes a different game. So anyway, I said a lot. So I'm hoping that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. I know. I wish we had more time to go into it because I'd like to talk about the practical applications of how to teach this to agents and, 
and things like that. Sadly, we don't have time to really get into like the nuts and bolts of, of things like that. But uh, I did want to briefly mention, Christine, you have a podcast. So if people enjoy what they what they hear, there's there's a way like a really easy way for them to kind of get into your world. That's probably the best way to kind of find out more about your perspective. Right. Yeah, I, I have for your for your audience. I have a downloadable copy of my book. It's a digital version, so everybody listening could, can go to fallingformoney.com, fallingformoney.com, and they can get a digital copy of my book. So that's a great place to start. I lay a lot of this out in the book. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, I have a podcast that is Wealthy, Wealthy, Wise, and I have a program called Wise Money where I help people learn the methodology and strategy for how to apply all this. But that's that can be found on my my podcast and my website. But I love, as you know, as you can listen, I nothing makes me happier than talking about money and just having people have money breakthroughs. It can just happen this quickly by just hearing one thing, one different thing about money can completely change our mindset our, and our perspective and, and our way to go about it. And Greg, I know you know this firsthand because you've been through that process. And you're helping your agents in your office, especially people that end up being partners with you in your brokerage offices and, and right. investment partner deals. I mean, you, you help people overcome this stuff on a daily basis. So I'm sure this really resonates. Yeah, we have a lot of conversations about money, um, you know, in the office. Of course, uh, what, what she is sharing with is just is such fantastic knowledge. And I'll, I'll, I'll digest that and share more of that as, as, as time goes on. Yeah, love it. Uh, and Greg, what's the best way to connect and reach out to you? Uh, thank you, everybody, for transitioning from sending me, bombarding me with emails to just hitting me up on <laughs> Facebook Messenger. So much better, as you can see, my response is probably a lot better on Messenger than emails, uh, period. So just just go find me on Facebook. I'm right there. Shoot me a message if I can do anything for you, and that'd be fantastic. Perfect. And then for the podcast, you can go to the leveluppodcast.com, or you can just look us up on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, and make sure to leave a review. And uh, if and when you do, make sure to shout out the guest. So if you enjoyed Christina's episode today, give her a public shout out in the review to let her know that you enjoyed her content and her contribution. So Christina, again, thank you so much. This was really fantastic. I wish we had more time to dive into the uh, the specifics, but I think it's a good introduction for people yeah. and, and some really good thought-provoking stuff. Uh, and they, everybody should go get the book because I think that's a great kind of, kind of entrance into your perspective, which is extremely unique. Yeah. Fantastic Thank you. Stuff. I had so much fun. That was Good. fantastic. Yeah. I'll make sure that everybody in my operation sees this podcast. I can be assured of that. Excellent. Well, again, thank you everybody for watching, uh, watching here live. We appreciate it. And we, we will see you guys next week.